Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and uh, we're going to be doing it by going through Nahum. We are in the third chapter of Nahum. We've uh, done the others, and as I am speaking to you, I'm actually uh, upgrading (laughs) some of the uh, pages that... uh, We've been putting together on Nahum, which you can find at preparingyou.com. And you can go along with us. Uh, I have been adding to these pages on a pretty regular basis because of the fact that we've been doing this study as, uh, you know, together, so to speak. I've been getting feedback from different people who are asking questions about it. And so, therefore... It's uh, helpful to uh, get those questions uh, because they shine a different light uh, to me uh, sometimes because uh, I see what people are failing to see and what fa- uh, failing to understand. So by getting your feedback, which we do by mostly I have to look at those people who talk to us on the network. Because I get so many calls and emails and uh, from people who are not on the network, I, I've gotten to the point where I simply have to delete them. If they're not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded his ministers to make the people do, require the people to do, then I just simply do not have the time to go through their individual's uh, you know, emails and uh, and contacts uh, with me to answer their questions. So it's to me, it's absolutely essential, uh, and it appears to be to Christ that the people eventually sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, uh, which expresses at least the fact that they care enough about their neighbor. To actually do that, because that's what Israel did, that's what Rome did, that's what all the countries of the world do, is they organize themselves into small groups, and those small groups uh, have an intimate knowledge about themselves, and then they connect with other groups. And early Rome did this, after they threw out the Tarquinian kings, uh, they set up the hearths, which were basically family groups that gathered together in small groups. And those small groups elected somebody to represent them. And then those uh, men got together in small groups. And they elected somebody to represent them. And eventually you got to the point where you had a senate. But the original Senate had no power to exercise authority over the people. They had no power to make laws. They had no power to, uh, you know, suddenly declare war and everybody had to be drafted and go into an army and, and fight the enemy. They didn't do that. They depended upon people actually caring about their neighbor as much as they cared about themselves. And then when they were attacked by uh, 
different people. I don't want to use the example when the Jutes came down because when the Jutes came down, they, they were not ready for them. They had become too successful and too apathetic. But uh, many of the other times when different tribes would come down and try to attack them, sometimes because, of, like we've talked about, global weather change, uh, it was getting much colder there for a while, and it was driving the people out of the northern uh, parts of Germany, and they were coming down and raiding in Italy. And uh, the Romans uh, needed to mount uh, defense against some of these raids and some of these people moving into different areas of Italy. But... Uh, they had a means by which to do that because they were already gathered in these small groups. Now, what binds these groups together? It's not, uh, you know, the tablets that Rome had that, to organize their government after they threw out the Tarquinian kings in what would only be counted as a civil war. They had their civil war, which they... They stopped the power of the Tarquinian kings because it got too excessive and they set up a republic. And that republic hoped to be like what uh, Tacitus refers to as Libera Res Publica, where the people were free from things public. But it eventually would degenerate into the empire over many hundreds of years. And it's a gradual change in the way in which people relate to one another and the way in which they relate to the government. And what happened was Rome began to provide, uh, certain Romans began to provide free bread, uh, usually at the expense of other nations which they brought under their authority uh, because they were so successful, but also eventually through taxation of their own people. And uh, there's a whole history of that. The same thing went on in Israel a number of times. and But they had the Torah and they would read the Torah and they would understand. They had these prophets that came and would explain certain things that, oh, you can't do it this way. If you do it this way, bad things will happen because we live in a cause and effect universe. And Nahum was no different. We saw the same thing in Amos and the same thing in Hosea. And we will see the same thing in Ezekiel and his cities of blood. It is cities that become a cauldron where the people bite one another. And we see in the New Testament where they talk about people biting one another and warning us not to bite one another. Well, is there a plague of uh, rabies? Are we going out trying to bite one another because we all get rabies? No, that's not that's not the way it works. That's not that's not what they're talking about. So anyway, by going through Nahum and going through some of these different uh, chapters of uh, the different minor prophets, we hope to clarify what was really going on in those days and what. Uh, the uh, uh, Jews and the Israelites uh, were trying to accomplish and uh, where they went wrong and where the prophets came and put them right again. And uh, they didn't always put them right. Sometimes hard times had to come. And in those hard times, people suffered. 
And so anyway, in if we go back, I have put together uh, a number of uh, uh, summaries of the different chapters of uh, Nahum. I've done this with other uh, prophets that we've gone through. I put uh, certain summaries down. And in the summary, I'm able to use, you know, some of the language of the uh, translators and some in uh, the terms are in relationship to our own modern view of the ancient past when we study the past. I, I actually... It's it's amazing how many different things I do deal with. For instance, uh, I went back and uh, upgraded our, my page on Moses just this morning, and uh, it was because I I saw the the temple at Tarnak. Uh, Tar, Tarnak? Am I getting that right? I don't have it in front of me right now, but uh, it was during uh, the reign of Hatshepsut and. Uh, then that was followed by the reign of Tutankhamen the Third, which was an emperor in the uh, or king or pharaoh. We call him Pharaoh in the period around fourteen uh, hundred years before Christ, and that's actually when the Exodus of Moses took place, in my humble opinion, and evidently in the humble opinion of a lot of other. Uh, uh, archaeologists and scientists who have been investigating this, there was a serious problem with the timeline that archaeologists put uh, on the pharaohs themselves. And then there was a question as to, and this is why you get a lot of archaeologists saying there's no evidence of Moses uh, ever even living in Egypt. Well, of course, that's because they're placing Moses in a particular time frame during the reign of Ramesses, because Ramesses is mentioned in the Old Testament, that that's that's where they were, and uh, and he was the uh, emperor pharaoh of uh, Egypt. But other people have come along and say no, uh, yeah, they were in the area that they're talking about uh, up there in the kind of delta region of the Nile River, uh, but they're using the names in the Torah of those areas and the, the Pharaoh uh, in a much later period because they're not really describing specifically who was the Pharaoh, but they're talking about those places as they were known at a particular time when the Torah was written out. Uh, and supposedly now Moses wrote the Torah, but we don't have his actual handwritten Torah. <laughs> Other people have uh, put it down on paper so that we it passed down from you know, generation to generation. And now we have, you know, uh, copies of copies of copies and we can go back to the Septuagint, which was a Greek copy of the Torah. And uh, we have some of those early copies. But uh, we do not have any writings directly by the hand of Moses. He is the source of a lot of this information, but somebody else wrote it down and passed it down over a period of thousands of years. And so, is it accurate? Yes, it really is, but we have to read it with that understanding that this has been copied. And now we, 
you know, with uncovering, and we've gone over this in previous programs, uncovering the Dead Sea Scrolls, etc., we find that uh, people were pretty good at copying things. But the language changes over a period of time. But anyway, there's been a number of videos and books written about this subject, and you can go study it yourself. But I uh, I favor the, the Tutankhamen's uh, theory. Uh, but the important thing to understand is what was the complaint? What was going on uh, at the time where they had this conflict with what Pharaoh was doing? Now, we know they went into bondage because they mistreated their own brother. And I've added those quotes from the text that we do have of the Old Testament. Why... Uh, they, they were having particular difficulties and problems, uh, that they would end up going into bondage. Well, they went into bondage because they sold their own brother into bondage. And because they did that, they themselves went into bondage. And, uh, so that's what is taking place during Nahum. And that's what they're talking about with Amos and Hosea and all the prophets. And they talk about this captivity, going into captivity, and this conflict. And it's the same conflict that Moses had to deal with. The problem is, is that we are doing the same thing today. And we don't understand why we have become a scattered flock. We see things in the daily news where people are suggesting that we are losing freedoms and we are losing our liberty and that it's it's government's fault. Government is usurping our rights and everything. When in truth, the problem is that we have been neglecting our responsibilities and we have divided ourselves. We have dissolved the bands which connect a free society. And I wrote an article on the bands uh, because they talk about that in the Declaration of Independence. And I wrote it during our studies on Nahum. Uh, that uh, that uh, they talk about uh, we have a right to dissolve the bands which have connected us with another. And they were talking about the bands that connected us with the King of Great Britain. And I know a lot of people who have been, you know, saying that we have a right to, you know, revolt again against the governments of the world in different countries. We see the French out demonstrating against their government. And uh, lots of it. And Australia, who doesn't have a tradition of demonstration and rebellion, uh, they're finding a hard time of it. And the government is just coming down and clamping down on them uh, with almost a totalitarian approach in many areas of Australia. And uh, I say almost. I mean, it really is kind of a totalitarian approach. And they don't seem to know what to do with it or do about it. Well, the, well, the reason why is they have also dissolved the bands which connect the people in a free society. Which is why I was talking about early Israel and early Rome. They sat down in these small groups, what the Bible refers to as the tens, hundreds, and thousands. 
and uh, these these ranks of ten and hundreds, and they take care of the charitable needs of society. You know, the widows, the orphans, the people who are in families where the family can't take care of the needs of the family because the family is broken down. Hopefully the family has broken down because, you know, of death or disease or injury or something like that. And therefore there isn't a breadwinner and so therefore the children will starve without help from their neighbors. And they have organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands so that they can help their neighbors. By doing that, they create the bands of a free society, the bonds of a free society through the practice of fervent charity in taking care of the needy of society, which is a basic principle of what some people call uh, Judeo-Christianity, is that religion, pure religion specifically, as it says in the New Testament, is the taking care of the needy of society, the, the widows and orphans of society, unspotted by the world. Now, he writes that in the text, unspotted by the world. And that that's an old text, but that is pretty accurate if you look at the original text. And the word world there is defined in your concordances, in the concordances that you would read in the seminaries of today, that, that the world that is not spotting your religion... It's not corrupting your religion so that your religion is pure would be the constitutional order and system of government. That's the word they use in the text when they're explaining what pure religion is. Because religion, in the Greek, is threskia. It's what you do. And what you do has to do with what how you take care of one another. How you love your neighbor as yourself. You do it by taking care of your neighbor if your neighbor is injured or gets sick or or falls off a ladder or whatever. Or gets fired because he won't take a vaccination. <laughs> which is, we know tens of thousands of people are getting fired. Now they're, they're rolling back. I actually, uh, we'll talk about this in the afternoon program. You know, that who, why is one department in government have less than 50% of the people vaccinated, while another department in the same government that performs a different task has over 90% of their people vaccinated. Why is that? Uh, it, there was no strong arming any more than there was in any other deal, but one group did not want to take the vac- same state, same government, but one group would not, they would, they quit their jobs, moved from their state, uprooted their family because they did not want to take the vaccination. But in another group, within the same government, over 90% of them all took the vaccination. Why is that? I mean, that the statistical difference between those two groups is amazing. So I, I started looking into that. But anyway, that'll be the topic in this afternoon's show. We're going to go through, uh, you know, this uh, Nahum. And so anyway, I uh, 
I've got those, uh, if you, if you loaded the page before the program started, you may want to, uh, reload it, cause some of them have changed. <laughs> I only added a few things that I'd already typed in, but I hadn't saved it yet. And, uh, I was jumping over to some of the other, uh, pages that I have open here so that, uh, that we may also talk about in the afternoon show, or if we get through Nahum, we'll talk about them. But we'll do a quick summary of Nahum chapter 1. Where in my summary I say, at the core of the power of tyrants like Cain, like Nimrod, like, you know, Babylon, and of course we see in Revelation, Babylon the Great. Uh, we also see the reference to Assyria, Pharaoh, Caesar, etc. I equate all those guys with, with certain presidents of the United States, like FDR and LBJ. And I put articles to show you why Cain, Nimrod, uh, the governments of Assyria and Babylon and, and the pharaohs and Caesars of the world are like FDR. And I have all kinds of quotes from people who lived at those times and, and people who uh, understood the Bible and wrote in the Bible and how those all are connected. Because the FDR offered you benefits from men who exercise authority one over the other. They call it the CCC program, uh, you know, different types of welfare programs offered to you by the state who only gives you what they take away from others. Now, that, that's basically what FDR was doing. The Great Society of LBJ have articles up on that as well, so you can see that these guys, these presidents of the United States, and you can go to other countries, Australia had a social security system being set up before the United States had a social security being set up. And this is one of the things that I've traced in history as you look at, you can go to uh, Holland, you can go to Australia, you can go all over the world, and you'll see somebody is writing these bills and these, setting up these systems in a uniform way all across the world. And who's doing it? Are the congressmen running over to Australia and saying, let's see what you got here and let's copy it over? Somebody is. Because I see the duplicate things falling in place in all these different countries over hundreds of years. Uh, mostly in the last hundred years, I've seen this repeated consistently. But anyway, FDR was basically someone who called himself a benefactor of the people. He was going to help the people out, going to provide social welfare for the people by taxation. Either directly taxing the people, going to tax the rich, of course, or they're going to borrow money that has to be paid back to take care of the needy today. And that means that your children will have to pay that money back. So the two things that Peter said through your covetous practices, you would become merchandise and you would curse your children. And they did this through the systems and and uh, legal systems that they set up under FDR and LBJ, and many other leaders all around the world. And this is exactly what was happening at the time of Nahum. And this is what Nineveh is all about. But we'll talk more about this when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. 
Okay, well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom, and like I said, we're going through a summary of the first and second chapters, and we'll try to get through them really quick here. But basically, this whole idea of social welfare through the state is exactly what Christ was warning us about and and explaining to his apostles that you are not to be like the the governments of the Gentiles at that particular time which call themselves benefactors, provide all these free bread and benefits, including, you know, that wasn't just free bread, sometimes it was money and wine and everything else, but they were providing these benefits to the people, but they exercised authority one over the other in providing these benefits. And it created a contractual relationship with the people. And this would include today a lot more than just free bread. I mean, your your welfare programs uh, that are provided by the government, Social Security, this provided by the government. Social Security's never been solvent. We explain all that. We show you, literally, we show you the book on it, uh, what the Supreme Court has said on it. That it's never been solvent because there is no division of funds. And as long as the government is in debt, so is Social Security. So the only way, and and this is what top economists in the United States say, the only way you can get any money out of Social Security is you force your young people to take care of you. To provide that money. They don't actually provide that money. They're still borrowing it. If we see that every week now in the Senate and Congress that you have chosen for yourself, they're, they're borrowing, borrowing, borrowing more and more and more. And, uh, so that, you, but you, they're taxing more and more and more uh, to pay the interest on that debt. Which, of course, as we explain in the Ten Commandments, is a violation of the Sabbath. You're not working first and earning your rest. You're borrowing against the future, and now you owe your labor. This is, it's a contractual deal, and this is how, uh, Cain, Nimrod, Babylon, Assyria, <laughs> Pharaoh, Caesar, FDR, and LBJ operated. And so anyway, Nineveh, uh, we see this, uh, reference to Nineveh, uh, those contracts we see were the spirit of the Asurus, uh, or Asuras, or Assyria. And I have articles that uh, are linked to in that summary so that you can go read about that. Those are the merchants of the earth. And of course, Revelation tells you that the, whole, the that there will be a full stock for the merchants of the earth will own men. And slaves and all that you have, they own. And this is how they do it. As they, you, you can't really, if you are borrowing from a corporate group, uh, that has been established and as a matter of record in a legal system and they're offering you what they call legal charity, you become responsible for that debt. If you're a beneficiary, by agreement, by application to get those benefits, you are now, you're now owed the debt that is created by those benefit programs. And so, that's what happens. And I have lots of links in the summary so you can go look these things up. You can read about the Osuras and Assyria, and see that they are the merchants of men. They end up owning the people. 
And as Peter said, it's because of your covetous practices of desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor. And we quote all kinds of historians that this is, this is how you lose your freedom. It is not through government usurpation. It's through your abandonment of the moral character of Christ. Literally the character of Christ. Literally the name of Christ. You haven't been coming together in the name of Christ. You've been coming together in the name of covetousness. And this is what Nahum is talking about. And so there's references in the summary. You are the cause... But the effect, which is a whirlwind, this is a word they, that he uses in Nahum, will come as a flood. And there is no escape from this cause and effect universe. It will eventually break the yoke that is on you, but it will also, uh, the system of welfare will be broken. And uh, we see that now in the news. And uh, so that your simulated monetary system will break down because, you know, you, you didn't put your gold and silver in your purse. You actually cast it into your streets. Now, I'm going through this really quick, but we will see where the Bible tells you that you will cast your gold and silver in the streets. And, of course, that's what they were doing with the gold when they made the golden calf, which was a central bank. There at the foot of Mount Sinai, and the people were setting this up, or they were putting all their wealth into this central statue, and using something else instead of gold to exchange amongst themselves. But it bound the people together because they were not no longer independent families. They they didn't have the independent wealth of a family. They had given up their wealth into a one purse into the one purse state into a common treasury and in hopes that that would bind you together to defend that treasury, defend that statue of gold. Because if you fled across the desert when the enemy showed up, you would have to flee across without your gold because it was still in the statue. And, uh, and so... That was a way in which to bind the people together. But Moses said, no, that's not how we bind them together. We bind them together with this system of charity, which is what the Levites. The Levites were called out because they were a little bit more faithful than the rest of the people. And the people were supposed to give them free will offerings, at least equivalent to something like 10%. It wasn't a matter of 10%. There was nobody arresting you if you gave 8%. <laughs> you know, there was nobody put in jail because you cheated on your tithing. Uh, but that was to fund these ministers of 10 so that they had the means by which to take care of the needy of society. And they had no personal estate. And that was one of the things required by Moses of the Levites. They held all their lands. They call them lands in common. But they were in every town and every village uh, making sure that the widows and orphans and needy of society were taken care of. And this created the bonds of society so that when they were attacked, 
the people stayed and defended their neighbor because they cared about their neighbor as much as they cared about themselves. That spirit had to be cultivated in a system of social welfare based on fervent charity rather than legal charity. Legal charity is not charity. And I use that phrase, legal charity. I have an article on it now, so you can go read that article. But that's a term that was used by uh, uh, Alexis Tocqueville, uh, who traveled America and talked about what destroyed countries and why America was so great a nation, because it did not depend upon legal charity when he was traveling America. It depended upon a fervent charity of individuals coming together and and helping one another and providing for one another and creating what he calls in the French associations, which are simply free assemblies. And he, he said specifically it was the churches that made America great because they did that then. At that time, the churches were taking care of almost all the social welfare of America. And this made Americans independent of government. And it made them stronger and stronger and stronger. So I have a summary there also that goes through some of these things and lots of links in the summary so you can go to that uh, you know, by going to preparing you at preparingyou.com and uh, look up the word Nahum. And I have those summaries that are now appearing on each of those pages so that you can read them for yourself and there's lots of links so that you can understand why the Bible talks about the perfect law of liberty. Why the New Testament also talks about a daily ministration of pure religion. And that pure religion, through charity, allowed for that perfect law of liberty, but it also created the bonds of a free society so that you would be not a scattered flock, but able to deal with any type of tyranny that would come along. But instead, you're dependent upon the government that can lock you down and lock you up and keep you off the streets when they want to, and uh, and then let others roam the streets and burn billions of dollars worth of damage... Because they want them to go out, but they don't want you to go out. And they've devastated you. Literally, Americans have already lost the war. Australians have already lost the war. Uh, they're only going to be able to get together eventually when they sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start caring about their neighbor as much as they care about themselves. Caring about their neighbor's liberty. I mean, nobody was caring about their neighbor's liberty when they were sending men to their neighbor's house to force them to contribute to what they wanted in free benefits. And those free benefits are not only Social Security and welfare, but uh, public school education, uh, roads. You didn't get together and build your roads together. You elected other men to force your neighbor to contribute to what you wanted. And it was acceptable. And Polybius told us 150 years before Christ that when your appetite for benefits and your desire for those benefits 
uh, are provided by you becoming accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of, other, uh, of others, that you would, you yourselves, as a society, would degenerate into perfect savages and find once more a monarch and a king. So, it isn't about the government usurping your rights. Again, it is about you neglecting your responsibility to follow the way of love and charity and hope and to live by faith and that love for one another. You haven't been doing that. That's not how you get your schools set up. Original public schools were uh, created mostly by the contribution, free will contributions of the people in those associations that Alexis was talking about. And your uh, hospitals, your uh, even your mental institutions, even prisons, were built by free will contributions in the early days of America to take care of the needy of societies. And the, sometimes they were a lot of people that would end up committing crimes were people with mental problems. And so they, what do you do with them? They're just out there doing these crimes and you had to lock them up. And so Americans did not tax their neighbors to do it. And this is one of the things they've just deleted from history. They didn't want you to know. You know, like I, I've said many times, they've shown how this was still going on in many parts of the world and many parts of America, you know, when in, when World War One broke out, that were there were volunteer charitable organizations that bought the ambulances for the soldiers on the front lines, and paid the drivers of the. This was through charity, not through taxation, and they understood that still. If you tell that to people now, they think like that's crazy. Well, this is what was happening in the time of Nahum. So we end up with being in chapter 3 of Nahum, and we'll read that. And he starts off with, Woe to the bloody city! It is all full of lies and robbery. The the prey departeth not. They don't escape. The prey does not escape. Well, where do you go? Where do you go in Australia? How, How do you escape the prey? That is eating the people up, robbing the people, and full of lies. We've talked about a lot of these lies that have been going on in the media. And, uh, and, and it's accepted. It started, it started a long time ago. I mean, you can go all the way back to Jefferson who talked about if you, you know, if you don't read the paper, you're uninformed. If you do read the newspaper, you're misinformed. <laughs> so, so you needed to have some other source of information. We talked about this in the earlier studies. That this is the watchman on the wall. Who are your watchmen on the wall? Who, who are your mountains of Samaria? Mountains of truth. Who are they? Is it CNN? Is it, is it the media that you listen to? Is it your pastor? Has he been telling you you're not supposed to be coveting your neighbor's goods? You're supposed to be taking care of all charity. 
amongst yourselves, like Christ commanded. You're not to be going to men who exercise authority one over the other and call themselves benefactors to get your daily ministration. You should be going to church and getting it. All of it. Not a little bit of it. All of it. None of it should come from those men who exercise authority one over the other because Christ forbid that. Out of his own mouth, right there in the text, well translated. But they say, no, it's okay to take the benefits of government of those men who exercise authority like other governments of the world. It's okay to do. They tell you that's okay. Billy Graham told you that was okay. Billy Graham's son, uh, Franklin Graham, comes out and says that Jesus would have taken the vaccination. (laughs) They, They are liars. Uh, you know, you don't have to go to Joe Olstein to find a liar. There's plenty of them out there. Your local pastors, if they haven't told you that you should not be engaging in the covetous practice of desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor through men who exercise authority, if they haven't told you that, they are the ministers of the bloody city. That Nahum is talking about. And he says, woe to the bloody city. And, you know, you that word bloody that you see in the text is, uh, but he, uh, it, it normally blood would be mem, yod, mem. Because blood flows and that's, it has two mems. And yod, remember the yod is that uh, divine spark. And it's in the middle of two mems. And see, this is when the, you know, the life is in the blood, according to Moses. And so, the flow, when the blood stops flowing, life is gone. Mem, yad, mem. And the disease that is coming upon us, the, the, the curse that is coming upon us, will interfere with that flow of blood. But, but that's just simply a product of creation. You know, that what makes the blood flow well in you is the Spirit of God. What makes the blood not flow well in you is inevitable will be denying the Spirit of God. And if you're denying the fact that you should love one another, that you should not covet your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority. Call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. If you deny that, then something will eventually come about in this cause and effect universe that will interfere with that flow and that divine spark in you. You will be made blind. You won't see the truth anymore. You will become the prey. And your cities, your city structures will be full of lies. Your civil structures. Civil law is the law that men makes for themselves. And I can go through all kinds of quotes. Jeremiah 26.15 But know ye for certain that if ye put me to death, ye shall surely bring innocent blood upon yourselves. And upon this city and upon the inhabitants thereof, 
For of a truth the Lord hath sent me unto you to speak all these words in your ears. So I'm speaking them. I'm telling you, you should not be coveting your neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority. And why do I tell you that? Because Christ said that. It is not to be that way with you. What part of not to be that way with you don't you understand? But you can go to Ezekiel 7.23. Make a chain for the land is full of blood, bloody crimes, and the city is full of violence. You force your neighbor to provide for your public education. You will send the sheriff to their house if they don't send in their check. And take their house away from them after just two years, three years in some states. You will terminate their ownership and take the whole house away from them, even though they only owe a few thousand dollars maybe. Throw them out on the street and sell their house to somebody else who will provide you with the benefits you want. That does not create love between neighbor. That is, you are a little tyrant. And all you little tyrants together will bring about a big tyrant. And then you will wave your fist or make your posts on Facebook that they're usurping your authority. When you've been usurping your neighbor's right to choose for almost a century in America. Ezekiel 9.9 Then said he unto me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great, and the land is full of blood, and the city full of perverseness. For they say, The Lord hath forsaken the earth, and the Lord seeth not. But God does see. We live in that cause and effect universe. And they they will tell you over and over again, what is coming will not delay. You think you're getting away with it, but our lives are very short. It will come upon you. And it is coming upon us now. Ezekiel 22.2 Now, thou son of man, wilt thou judge? Wilt thou judge the bloody city? Yea, thou shalt show her all her abominations. I'm telling you. I'm telling you what they are. You may not like to hear it. You may want to shut me off. There may be even people out there who want to kill me. I don't know. But I'm going to say it just the same. And so, the abominations of the bloody city are before you. Because you've been taking a bite out of your neighbor so that you can have free education, free health care police that will protect you. You've waived your right and your responsibility and expect somebody else to protect you. They will not be able to do so. Even in the next verse in Ezekiel 22, 3, Then thou, then say thou, Thus saith the Lord, The city sheddeth blood in the midst of it, that her time may come, and maketh idols against herself, to defile herself. The, your idols are these people, you know, like right now you have Biden in the White House. Before you had Trump. Just different idols. Before that you had Obama and Clinton and and you go back to LBJ and FDR. These are your idols. They are given power by you because 
during the days of FDR, it was kind of surprising. Most people were thinking like, you know, why are we looking to the government? And a lot of people wouldn't do it. But we began this gradual change. It's like the heating of the pot where the frog is in. When you heat him slowly, he still cooks. Ezekiel 24, 6. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God, Woe to the bloody city, to the pot, whose scum is therein, and whose scum is not gone out of it. Bring it out piece by piece. Let not lot fall upon it. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Woe to the bloody city. I will even make the pile for fire great. So those are just some of Ezekiel. And actually, the, you will, we can go back to all kinds of where they talk about the cauldron, etc. But Hosea 6.8, Gilead, a city of them that work iniquity and is polluted with blood. So this is repeated over and over again. But we'll talk more when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we'll see if we can't get through Nahum 3. Be right back. Well, welcome back. So we got to verse 1, the bloody city. But that's very important to understand that you live in the bloody city that is full of lies. That you are the prey that cannot escape. And it's because you were willing to covet your neighbor's goods. And you did it through men who exercise authority. And that is what you need to repent of. Verse 2 is going to tell you what's going to happen. The noise of the whip and the noise of the rattling of the wheels and the prancing of horses and the jumping and of the jumping chariots. Well, he's talking about... Chariots were a scary thing to the people because they they would charge in. They would, you know, if you were on foot, they were like tanks that could roll in and just push everything out of the way. And uh, so chariots were a scary thing. And the the noise of the whips, um, the whips, you know, if you go back to uh, uh, Rehoboam, And when they chose to have a king, they were abandoning God already. We, we were told that this, you know, back in Samuel, 1 Samuel 8, that this desiring of kings would get us into trouble. This chief executive officer, this ruler, that, the word emperor means, it means commander in chief. And your president is a chief executive officer. You, you somehow or other you think that the Constitution of the United States is a biblical document. We've written a whole book that shows you that the, what the Bible requires for a Constitution. It has actually five points that it requires for a Constitution. And you did not follow those five requirements. You did not follow four of them. Yeah, one of them you kind of included in there, but not really. Because you changed the whole nature of government, because you changed your whole relationship with government. And so, this is, this is what, uh, you know, Rehoboam, when they wanted to go back to a republic under Rehoboam, 
they had Solomon and they had had David. And David wasn't too bad, but he screwed up lots of times. And we see the history of him making mistakes. But uh, they wanted, many of them wanted to go back and not have a king. Not have a ruler. Go back to the free will offerings that, to rebuild those bands which had connected them that made them a strong nation. But a certain portion of them, the people would not go back. They still supported Rehoboam and his officers. And Rehoboam, when he was, it was put to him that let's, let's go back to the Republic instead of the city, the civil structure that we've become dependent upon. Rehoboam consulted his cronies and they said, you know, and, and you can't believe this as a campaign speech, but he says, my father whipped you with whips, I shall whip you with scorpions. So anyway, in Nahum we see the noise of the whip and the noise of the rattling of the wheels. They're going to force you. They're going to have the power. And the big thing is, is that you become this scattered flock. And you no longer have the power. And so other nations can now come in and you can't stop them. And of course, it, when we get to Ezekiel, we'll t- see the hook in the mouth and other nations coming forth, talking about the last days. I mean, it, Ezekiel is no minor prophet. <laughs> that guy saw some serious stuff. But anyway, in verse 3, the horseman lifteth up both the bright sword and the glittering spear, and there is a multitude of slain. And a great number of carcasses, and there is none end of their corpses. They stumble upon their corpses. And in verse 4, because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcraft, that selleth nations through her whoredoms, and families through her witchcrafts. This all comes about. All this death. All this destruction. This whips and chariots and rulers and invading armies. All comes about because of the multitude of whoredoms of a well-favored harlot. What are they talking about? I thought that the enemy could come because we didn't have nuclear weapons or we didn't have a standing army or we didn't have, uh, you know, professional soldiers guarding our borders or maybe because we didn't have a wall along the Mexican border. No, it's because of our whoredoms and our well-favored harlot. Who's the harlot? And what's this witchcraft stuff? So, anyway, I've, that's another thing I've done in the last couple of weeks. I've added, you know, an article on whoredom. And what does a well-favored harlot mean? We see in the text, Tav, Vav, be it, uh, excuse me, Tet, Vav, be it, Tav, instead of Tet, Vav, be it. They've added the Tav. To the well-favored harlot. 
the woman, the wise woman of Proverbs, of, of the Bible, of the bride of Christ, is supposed to be taking care of all the social welfare of society, the same as your the wife and mother of the household takes care of the... She's the health care provider for all the kids in the family and for the husband. She's the one who makes the chicken soup. She's the one who knows how to do all these things that is the caregiver of the family. Now, that I'm not relinquishing her simply to do that. Husbands should know about that stuff too. But as nature shows us, the woman of the household is often the caregiver of the household. So who's the woman of the city? Does that the city have a a caregiver? That's your social welfare system. And right now your medical society is entirely dependent upon your social welfare system. This is why the Sisters of Mercy got into so much trouble. Yeah, they, they're the Sisters of Mercy who want to take care of the needy of society and, and their hospitals. But hospitals don't run without Medicare, Medicaid, and all the benefits of the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. If they weren't out whipping people, you couldn't hardly start these hospitals. You know, that it's gotten to the point where like the Shriners can start a hospital and they say that the Shriners don't charge anybody. They never send out a bill. Where do they get all their money? Is it all charity or are they getting government aid? Are they able to get government aid and they that is enough to fund them as well as some charity? But even if they're depending on any kind of government aid, to maintain their hospital, isn't their religion spotted? You see, socialism is the religion you get when you have no religion. Because religion isn't about what you think God is. It's about what you do. It's threskia. It's what you do to take care of the needy of your society. I mean, all the law depends upon what? That you love your neighbor as yourself. You love one another. That you care about one another. And you care for one another. But you don't do it through free will offerings. You do it through men who exercise authority. Your harlot is the systems of social welfare and Medicare and Medicaid that are provided by the rulers of the city, of the civil government. That's the harlot. It's because of that whoredom that you have, and your well-favored harlot, because, you know, somebody says, well, our church, you know, we, we take up a collection for the poor, and the widows and the orphans, and the missions, and all this stuff. I say, okay, now add up all the welfare benefits the congregants of your church get from the men who exercise authority one over the other, the government. Add those all up in one column. And then in the other column, add up all those benefits that you provide through charity. Add that up in another column. 
And let's look at the total at the bottom. And you tell me who the well-favored harlot is. It's not the bride of Christ. You're not taking care of the needy through the bride of Christ. Through the church. Now, I'm, I, I blame the thing calling itself the church. It's not the church established by Christ. The church established by Christ would be doing it. But the people who say they're the church that is established by Christ, they send most of their people to the well-favored harlot, to the mistress of witchcraft. So you have this word witchcraft. What What is that? Because it's a Hebrew word because we're in the Old Testament now. We're not in the New Testament where it might be pharmakia. We're in the Old Testament. And they have a, you know, instead of the normal word that you would see there, uh, which, you know, has a number, you know, I think it's uh, the concordance numbers 03 or 3785. That normal word is said to be kaf shen pi. But we see kaf shen pi yad mim. Uh, only in Nahum. Only in Nahum 3. That's the only place we see it. It's not written that way anywhere else in the Bible. They added the yad mim. What, what, what did we say? Blood? What's the meaning of the word blood? I mean, how, how do they say that in the Hebrew? Mem yad mem. So, this, this harlot, if you were reading this in Hebrew and understood the letters of the Hebrew, you would see kaf, shin, pi, yad men. And you would know that this is associated with blood. You know, that, that word is translated uh, witchcraft four times and sorcery twice. But, you know, this, this cough, uh, it means the crown, the actualizing of potential power from a spiritual to physical realm. It's a covering. Shin is the eternal flame of revelation bound to the coal of righteousness. See that when you love your neighbor, love your enemy, it's as a hot coal. It's the same love. But if you can receive the love of God, then it's the coal of righteousness. You see, all these, all these letters are symbolic. You know, and, and the, the pi is this uh, communication, this oral Torah. Uh, you know, this information that goes from one to the other. But in Nahum, he adds this Yad Mem, which has to do with this blood. <laughs> that, uh, because the well-favored harlot, uh, she is only providing, she's a harlot because she does this for money and power. She's the mistress of the witchcraft, which we'll see in the New Testament is this pharmakia that selleth nations through her whoredoms. How does she do this? Well, this is what I'm telling you. I mean, who do you owe the money to That for all these benefits? That you've borrowed money against the future. Billions and trillions of dollars. You hear it in the news. You know, trillions of dollars in debt. Who do you owe it to? Well, it's the merchants of the earth. It's the Asurus. It's the Assyrians. 
It's Babylon the Great that you owe it to. And they own you. And they own your children. So where's the usurpation? You have not been loving one another, caring for one another, providing welfare and hospital care and, and needs for your neighbor through free will offerings. You've been doing it to men who exercise authority, one over the other. What did you expect? You ex- should expect what he's telling you is going to come. Because Nahum was telling you this, Hosea was telling you this, Amos was telling you this, and Ezekiel will tell you more if we have enough time to get to Ezekiel. Verse 5, Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts. I will discover thy skirts upon thy face. The skirts are on your face, the veil. I even equate it with the, the man behind the curtain. I'm sh- I'm showing you in a lot of other radio programs who the men behind the curtain are. But I'm not showing you so that you can hate those men. You want to love those men with the same love that is that hot coal upon the head of the unbeliever. If he repents, it'll be okay. It won't be like a hot coal. But if he does not repent, it will be like a hot coal upon his head. So, we see this word discover. Gimel, Lamad, Hey. Well, the, the Gimel, wherever you see that, that's, that has to do with cause and effect. It, this is why the prey can't escape. Because the cause and effect is there. Gimel is reward and punishment. We call, a lot of times what we call punishment is just the reward that you're going to get for what you've done. And you've been going to the well-favored harlot instead of to church. And who sent you to the well-favored harlot was your church. Chances are. I don't know what your particular church is. We're not telling you to do that. We're not telling you to go to the well-favored harlot. We're telling you to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands in a free will society, in a voluntary society, and start taking care of one another as if you actually loved your neighbor. The the Lamad in there, the Gimel Lamad, the the Lamad is the hand, the aspiration of the heart. What have, what have you been doing? You are okay with sending your neighbor to the men who exercise authority, even though Christ said it's not to be that way with you. And you are okay with that for almost a century now, since the 1930s. Do you think you will make it to 2030? Or will something happen in 2029 that most of you will not make it to 2030? You've had 50 years. You've had 100 years. But hey, which is the last letter there, (laughs) uh, your actions are speaking louder than your words. You say you love your neighbor. You say you love Christ. You say you're coming in the name of Christ. But you seem to be coming in the name of Nimrod. And so to look at the skirt upon thy face. And to tear it away and show you your nakedness. Which is where he goes. And I will show the nations thy nakedness. And the kingdoms thy shame. Now how is he going to do that? Well I'm not telling you. (laughs) but uh, 
there actually I have told people I've shown people that a lot of the governments out there uh, don't really have the authority to do what they're doing and so you're not entirely wrong when you're talking about them usurping but that's not going to do you any good unless you see that you've been going to the well-favored harlot and not been coming in the name of Christ You've been sending your neighbor to the well-favored harlot rather than sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to take care of the needy of society and so therefore you have become abominable. And in verse 6 he says, And I will cast abominable filth upon thee and make thee vile and will set thee as a gazing stalk. What's he talking about? This, uh, it's actually the, the word that we see there. Normally would be Resh Elef Yad. But in Nahum is Kaf Resh Elef Yad. He, he keeps putting this letter, this Kaf letter, in a lot of places. And, and we've talked about that, that because he's a poet, that, uh, uh, he adds a lot of letters to words because he's increasing their meaning to the reader. Except you don't see that in your translations. So that's why I'm pointing it out. Now you don't need to know all these Hebrew letters and all these Hebrew words that I'm pointing to. And I mean there's, there's four footnotes in that one verse six. I will cast abominable filth, make thee vile, and uh, will set thee as a gazing stalk. What's he talking about? Why is he saying that? Uh, and what is the gazing stalk? What, what does that actually mean? I actually should add more to that footnote on that so that you will see it. But uh, we're just going to go on to verse 7 here and maybe it'll start to come together. The pieces will start to come together better than we've already been saying. And it shall come to pass that all they that look upon thee shall flee from thee and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Whence shall I seek comforters for thee? So, you know, I've added a whole page uh, on Nineveh to try to explain what Nineveh means. Uh, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria and we just talked about the Asura and the Asuras and what Assyria is. It's these merchants of men. So the capital of the merchants of men is this thing that they're calling Nineveh. This is full of symbolism. It's not just about geography. It's about the symbolism. And, of course, that's associated with Babylon. And Babylon is associated with the bondage of Egypt. And what was the bondage of Egypt? You didn't own your labor. Or at least 20% of your labor. 20% of your labor, the products and fruits of your labor, had to go to the government every year. 20%, one-fifth. That's what it says. Well, it's worse with you today than the bondage of Egypt. (laughs) And that was brought to you by FDR. Now, it didn't all start with FDR, but FDR was a... Huge 
shifting point, a vortex in the universe, so to speak. But that's when you move from the kingdom of God to the city of Cain, the city of Nimrod, the city of Babylon, the city of Assyria, the city of the Pharaoh, where you waived a right to a portion of your labor in order to get benefits, in order to get the governments that would take care of your parents. And you didn't have to do no more odd for your parents because the system of Social Security is the system of Corbin that the Pharisees and Herod set up in Judea that was making the Word of God to none effect because in the Ten Commandments, you were to take care of your parents. Not to, You were not to go to men who exercise authority and say, you take care of my parents through Social Security. FDR said that's a good idea. And some of your churches were against it at first. And then one of your churches made a deal with FDR's wife and withdrew their objection. (laughs) And there you are. So what we're seeing today is the effect of the cause that I am explaining to you. Because you've been following after the ways of Nineveh, the Assyrians, the merchants of men. You've been looking, you know, to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. Which, in the time that we're talking about of Jesus Christ or of Nahum, were the fathers of the earth, the patronuses of the earth. And we explain all that in article after article. And I'm not doing it just to rub your nose in the mistakes of your past and your present in your last couple of generations, but so that you know what to repent of. So you know what to do to alter the course back because you have to be seeking the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Cain, Nimrod, Babylon, Assyria, Pharaoh, Nineveh. You should be seeking the kingdom of God, which is a kingdom that operates by the perfect law of liberty. And if you can find two people... You know, two families. I talked to somebody the other day. They had ordered a book from us. And all our books are free online. But they had ordered a hard copy. And we mailed it out more than a month ago. Let's see. Yeah, a month ago. And it 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 was supposed to go down to California. And it, it went to California. But it also went back up to Portland. And back up to Seattle. And back down to Sacramento. And back up to Medford and back down to Seattle. <laughs> and it was just lost. And he, he finally got it yesterday. And we talked on the phone because we, we were tracking it. And uh, uh, he says it it's the address is written perfectly. <laughs> it's got the zip code and everything. But uh, the efficiency of government may be or lack thereof, may sometimes be your salvation. But ultimately, the Spirit of God is in operation here. But one of the things he said something to me real quickly in the conversation on the phone is that he was a member of an order. And I thought like, so I asked him, what do you, what do you mean, an order? I, I don't think he actually used the word order, monastic order, I think he said. And I said, which monastic order is that? And you know, basically, it kind of came out that that was him. <laughs> he was the order. 
no, it doesn't work that way. You have to come together with other people. It's just hard to find people who are willing to see the whole truth. And we don't have a lot of time to do it, but we need to do it. So, do you think in the next half hour we can get through the last few verses of Nahum? Well, be right back and we'll give it a shot. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we see in this other verse a reference to, at least in one translation, they they put in the word populous. And uh, uh, I was actually just looking that up during the break uh, because it just jumped out at me. And this is the way I do things, is that God just says, look at this. <laughs> and so I go look at that. And uh, the word there that they translate into populace is also translated into multitude. And uh, it actually is defined as uh, artificer, architect, master workman. Uh, and it can mean a throng or a multitude. And it's actually the word amun. Eleph, um, uh, Eleph, Mem, Avav, Nun. And so that's a, you know, it actually comes from another word that, uh, uh, I was trying to think of uh, what that word is. But anyway, uh, it comes from another word that uh, has uh, a similar, uh, but is also referred to as multitude and sometimes even translated noise or tumult or or abundance. But uh, it does have the definition of artificer or architect or master or workman. So what what is it all about? It, it, this emul, and it's it appears as the same letters in the uh, in the Hebrew text that I mentioned. There it was elif mem vav nun, but uh, so it's, he's asking this question: Are you better than the populace? But he may be actually asking the question, are you better than the architect? Uh, and his answer, of course, is no. And the architect of God, now I'm not, I don't have to change the translation. You can, you can put it, are you better than your neighbor, the populace, the people? And his answer was no, and that is clear. But I'm not sure that Nahum didn't mean better than the architect. Uh, because of the way in which he he wrote this down, so you can you can just make that decision for yourself. But are you better than the populace Amon? No, that was situated amongst the rivers that had the waters round about it, whose rampart was the sea, and her wall was from the sea. Well, you know, I live in a country that talks about being from sea to shiny sea. <laughs> and Ezekiel will talk about a land brought back from the wilderness that in the last days will be inhabited. And he will tell us, and we'll show you what he is telling you. And a lot of people want to know what the prophecies are and all this stuff. Better to know the Holy Spirit. You go back there to that verse 7. Uh, Whence shall I seek comforters for thee? 
the comforter is the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit that shows you from moment to moment. I'm showing you the details of these ancient prophets and what they actually were meant and were talking about so that you will realize you went the wrong way. You went a way of unrighteousness and you should be seeking the way of righteousness. You went a way in opposite of Christ. You went the way of the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactor to provide for the needy of your society. This has weakened you, according to Polybius and to perfect savages, and made it so that now rulers, even a senile ruler, can rule over you and destroy your nation without ever firing a shot. He doesn't have to do, he doesn't need an army to come in and destroy you. He just, he just, you know, says, I'm making a mandate. He said, I wasn't going to do it, but now he's going to do it. <laughs> and thousands, tens of thousands of people are losing their livelihood, losing their life savings. And now, because they're borrowing all this money, there's going to be an economic collapse eventually. It's inevitable. They're just putting it off right now because they're trying to get everybody vaccinated. For whatever reason. And we've talked about that. So I won't talk about that. What I'm talking about is you need to have the Holy Spirit in your corner. If you are willing to see what I'm sharing with you. Your wall will be the Holy Spirit. It goes in verse 9. Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength. And it was infinite. But the Lubin were thy helpers. Uh, put and, excuse me, Put and Lubin were thy helpers. And I should probably add so that you would know who Put and Lubin is and, and what that's all about <laughs> because that's actually, uh, you know, part of the message and it's not well defined. Nobody knows who's Put and Lubin. You know, what? what is that all about? Um, but uh, Ethiopia were her strength in Egypt. And it was boundless. And it goes on in, in other translations. And they say, Libya and Lubim uh, were your helpers. But if you go to that word uh, of Lubin, there's extra letters there again. You know, it's Bav, Lamad, Vav. Be it. Yad, Mem. There's that Yad, Mem again. You know, Mem, Yad, Mem. That blood. So, what's he talking about? Well, we're not going to go into all that. But even the word helpers is Be it, Ayan, Vav, uh, Resh, Tav, Kaf. Again, he uses that cough. He is really fond of that letter. It shows up all over the place. But uh, what does all that mean? Well, we can go into that in detail, but uh, does it really do any good? The point is, is that you've been going to a well-favored harlot for all your needs and haven't been sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands taking care of the needy of your society through faith, open charity. Therefore, you have dissolved the bands and you don't have the help of Ethiopia and Egypt. Or put in Lubim. Or Libya. 
uh, as it's translated in some places. Verse 10 says, Yet was she carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed in pieces at the top of all the streets, and they cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. Why? Because of the whoredoms and the well-favored harlot. So if you want to change that outcome, you're not going to change it for the whole nation because most people, they are gazing stock. They're, you know, the deer in the headlight look. They're looking at you. They, they're not going to get what I'm sharing with you. This is all coming about because of your covetous practices. And because you've been going to the well-favored harlot instead of to the lady of righteousness. I can't even find the lady of righteousness. I can't even find the bride of Christ, which is supposed to be the church. I see all these home churches, which, of course, Christ was preaching home church, but a home church network of charity taking care of all the needs of society. They're saying there's something wrong with the churches we've been going to, but they're not necessarily defining what is wrong with them. What is wrong with them is they're not doing what Christ said to do. They're telling the people it's okay to do what Christ said it was not good to do. Which is to go to the Corbin of the Pharisees. So in verse 11 we see, Thou also shalt be drunken. Thou shalt be hid. Thou shalt, thou, thou also shalt seek strength because of the enemy. All thy strongholds shall be like fig trees with the first striped figs. If they be shaken, they shall even fall into the mouth of the eater. So, that's not a good thing. (laughs) You don't know the way of Christ. Your churches are not teaching you the way of Christ. You haven't been going the way of Christ. You haven't been coming together in the name of Christ to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. So the cause and effect of that is the bloody city. Verse 13, Behold, thy people in the midst of thee are women. The gates of thy land shall be set wide open unto thine enemies. The fire shall devour thy bars. We can look at that word bars. You can do that on your own. Verse 14. Draw thee waters for the siege. Fortify thy strongholds. Go into clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kilns. So, should we be building brick buildings to protect us? (laughs) Ezekiel will tell you that's not a good idea. These are metaphors. All this stuff from the very beginning in Nahum, he's using metaphors. Syria, Nineveh, these are metaphors. Uh, The whoredom. I'm just explaining what the metaphors look like. How do you build the strongholds of righteousness? Isn't it through faith, hope, and charity? 
Verse 15 says, There shall the fire devour thee. The sword shall cut thee off. It shall eat thee up like the canker worm. Make thyself many as the canker worm. Make thyself many as the locust. So what is he saying? I'm just, I'm supposed to make myself like the canker worm? Well, I had to add a whole new page so you understand what that means. <laughs> and uh, you, the canker worm uh, and locust uh, words, it's actually a page called locust. Because the canker worm, the palm worm, the grasshopper, all these things are metaphors that are trying to explain to you ideas and concepts. And we use them in our own modern language, like in the Declaration of Independence. It talks about swarms of offices to eat out our substance. That's what the locusts were. The canker worms. But here he's telling us that we should be like the canker worm. Like the locust. But in what sense? Are we supposed to be eating out you know, like moths and, and locusts eating up uh, what we've seen the banking system doing, eating up our money. I mean, when we started this program, the money in your pocket had a value, a purchasing value. It's less now. While you've been listening, it's gone down less because there are swarms of offices eating out your substance because of your fake money and your fake news and your fake government. <laughs> but it's not enough for you to know that the government is not what it should be. It's important for you to know that you're not what you should be. So it says here that you're to make thyself many as the canker worm. Make thyself many as the locust. He repeats this. How do you do that? You take this message that we are sharing with you and you share it with others. Most people are not, they're going to give you that gazing look, that deer in the headlight look. But that's why we've laid out these pages where people can go look this up. Until God is writing on their hearts, they will not see this. They sit in darkness and you're going to bring in the light. They're not going to like you. They're going to be squinting like, what the heck is this crazy stuff? But they see crazier stuff going on in their streets today. Verse 16. Thou hast a multitude. uh, Excuse me. Thou hast multiplied thy merchants above the stars of heaven. The canker worm spoileth and flieth away. The, The merchants of men. I have links there to show you. Who are they? There's the ones who own the full stock, the slaves, all the stuff. But we know that in Revelation that that's not going to pay off well for them. But we know that when they go down, you go down too, unless you've been seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Thy crowned are as the locust, and thy captains as the great grasshoppers. Which is why I made this page that you can go read and find out what these things are and how these metaphors. I'll probably add to it in the months ahead as we go through Ezekiel. Which camp in the hedges in the cold day, but when the sun arises, they flee away, and their place is not known where they are. 
and I could go into that, but we don't have much time, so I'm going to get through this. Maybe we'll come back to that. Verse 18, Thy shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Thy nobles shall dwell in the dust. Thy people is scattered upon the mountains, and no man gathereth them. So, we're trying to gather you in the name of Christ to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and organize yourself in a free society that operates according to the perfect law of liberty by faith, hope, and charity rather than force, fear, and fealty which is what you have set up for yourselves for the last hundred years at least since FDR or Woodrow Wilson or whoever. It doesn't matter. I don't want to point my finger at them all the time or you'll lose sight of your own error. You need to repent of what you've been doing and start doing something completely different, which is what Christ said to do, which your shepherds have not been telling you. Verse 19, There is no healing of thy bruise. Thy wound is grievous. All that hear the brute of thee shall clap the hands over thee, for upon whom hath not thy wickedness passed continually. There's a lot of people who don't like the United States. But America was a great nation. It was great when it did not practice legal charity, but fervent charity. It took care of one another through faith, hope, and charity rather than the force and fear and fealty and the wages of unrighteousness, which they talk about in the New Testament, that you have been going to get and eating you know, with great appetite the wages of unrighteousness. When, when Proverbs tells you you should have put a knife to your throat, you signed up and said, oh no, these are great benefits that the government's giving us. Free public school, how's that working out for you? You know, we see all, now a parent complain about what they're teaching your kids in school and they're counted as a terrorist. And, and you shake your fist back at them because you say, I demand that you teach my kids what I want you to teach my kids, but you're going to people who force your neighbor to provide that education. You're going to your local sheriff to take the home away from your neighbor if he does not want to pay for your critical race theory public school education. You should have been going the other way for the last 50 years. I've been going the other way. I home taught my kids. I told people that I'm I'm home teaching my kids because I'm a Christian and I cannot covet my neighbor's goods or force my neighbor to contribute to my child's education at the point of a gun. And they look at you with a gazing (laughs) stock look of the deer in the headlight like they don't get it. Well, isn't that what you're doing? Public education is provided by taxation. And if you don't pay the tax which you have to pay because you've signed up, because you don't own your property, you only have a legal title. So I've always paid into my neighbor's education. I paid the property tax. 
but I didn't take the benefit. I'm not saying don't pay the tax. I'm saying don't take the benefit. But your children still need to be educated. Can you educate them at home? Do you need help doing that? Well, if you were sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you would not only have help doing that, but you would be creating the bands of a free society. Because those young children, which grow up rather fast from my personal experience, those young children that grow up would remember that you were there when they were homeschooling. Even if you have no children, you should be helping the local homeschoolers out. Helping them, you know, so that if if one of them has to go away to work, somebody comes in and helps with the kids. And if you were in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, we would know who we could trust. Because we know that you are willing to sit down to help care for somebody else rather than just for yourself. Most people go to church because of what they're going to feel or what they're going to get or what they're going to experience. Christ didn't come for what he was going to get. Christ came for what he was able to give. He didn't come to save himself. Now a lot of people, because I talk about all these bad things happening, they're going to want to sit down in the tens, hundreds, hundreds and thousands to save themselves. But they're not coming in the name of Christ. So let's see if they can sit down and actually give in a way that shows that they are have the character of Christ. Christ would be tired. Christ would be hungry. And he would get up and go do whatever needed to be done. He wasn't wandering off from the apostles except for a couple of times. And he didn't go far. <laughs> and And disappearing. He was taking care of business. This is why family is so important because that's where a man learns to take care of business. That's where a woman learns to be a caregiver. She's not a harlot. But you've been going to harlots. And you need to repent of that. So I have a summary already written up. I I can see while I was going through the show today that there's all kinds of places I need to go back and fix certain things <laughs> or uh, add to things uh, to expand upon it. But uh, join the network and you'll start seeing some of these things if you join the network according to the Spirit of Christ to care about others. And those of you who don't want to join the network, don't expect me to answer your emails. I just do not have the time. Don't expect me to even read them. Occasionally I will if the Spirit leads me, but I I have an obligation to take care of the sheep of my boss. And if you don't want to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, I have to assume that you did not hear his voice. His sheep hear his voice. He said we need to do that. We need to set up a daily ministration that cares for one another through faith, hope, and charity. Unspotted by the world where men exercise authority one over the other. That's going to take a lot of overtime. Because we have been neglecting that job terribly for the last hundred years. Getting farther and farther away from the kingdom of God. Now we have to repent, turn around, think differently, and go back to the kingdom of God and understand 
what that kingdom looks like. We can hear the whips and the chariots out there. We see the destruction and devastation coming. We just don't realize that it's the result of our idolatry and our well-favored harlot that we have been dependent upon. We want to blame it on somebody else. Since the garden, we've always wanted to blame our mistakes on somebody else. That's not going to cut it with the Lord. It didn't then, it's not going to now. So, on the on that page at Preparing You, you can see there's lots of links. I'll probably add some more. Um, I have the FB, uh, FDR and LBJ links. I have... Uh, Links to articles on charity in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and how to join the network. And um, by joining the email group, you have not joined the network. Until you sit down in a congregation of record, there you say, I'm going to start caring about these people. And if they don't really care, if they don't really come in the name of Christ, your love will be like a hot coal on their head. If your love is the love of Christ. If it's not, then iron sharpens iron and you'll find out where you should be. But until then, uh, all I can say is peace on your house and may God be with you. And God bless. But see you on the network. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.